I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2. So this December, we have been, as we do every uh, December, a, a, doing a Christmas series that we've entitled Majesty in a Manger. Very appropriate song, Terry, for uh, our series. He didn't know that, so that's just how the Holy Spirit works, you know. And uh, today is the final study in that series. And we're going to be looking at the account of the wise men who came to worship Jesus. But you need to understand that actually didn't happen on Christmas morning. It actually happened much later. We'll see that in our text. And, uh, but the picture that we often have at Christmas time is the you know, manger scene, and, and there's the shepherds there, and the animals there, and then you have these you know, kingly-looking people that are there, and many, many of you probably have a manger scene that looks like that, but it's, it's really not an accurate picture. I don't mean to burst your bubble, um, but a more accurate picture would, would be to like put the wise men out in your front yard, and um, because they, they didn't get get there for a while, and uh, we'll talk about that as we go through this. But the reason why I'm including it in our series, Majesty in a Manger, is because the wise men brought fitting gifts to worship Jesus. And that's what I want us to consider today. So Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, follow along as I read. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Lord, as we 
come together today. Lord, we do remember and we celebrate that you are the King. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. That it truly was on that first Christmas, majesty in that manger. And Lord, I pray today that as we consider your word, that you would minister to our hearts, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us. And we just thank you for the blessing that you have given us, your word to enlighten our minds and our hearts to your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the wise men. We want to first of all consider who these wise men were. And, and to do that, I want to first of all just mention a few misconceptions about them. Um, and, and actually, you know, looking at who they weren't. And the first thing that we want to consider is that they, they weren't from the Orient. You know, we, we know the song, right? We three kings of... Right, right. Um, people say, how come you never sing like, like Aaron does when he preaches? Well, I just did, all right? <laughs> it's not going to happen again. But uh, <laughs> they weren't from the Orient. They were from Babylon. They were from the area of Medo-Persia. These were men who were skilled in astronomy and astrology. These were men who were highly revered and respected in their culture and were especially noted for their ability to interpret dreams. In fact, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, these are the type of men that King Nebuchadnezzar called when he couldn't figure out what his dream meant. And remember, none of them could either. And so they ended up asking Daniel and he was able to interpret the dream. But, but the, these were the, these men, they, they, they were involved in that sort of thing. And because of their knowledge of science and mathematics and history and even the occult, and because of their, their, their religious and political influence grew, it grew to the point be, where they became some of the most prominent and powerful group of advisors in the whole Medo-Persian and Babylonian empires. And they were more than just soothsayers and magicians, they were dignitaries. They weren't kings, but they were men of tremendous importance and tremendous wealth. So they were not from the Orient. Now, here's another misconception. There weren't, at least we don't know, we don't know how many of them there were. We, we think that there were three because they brought three gifts. We know that there was more than one because it says the wise men. But there might have been two. There might have been 20. There might have been a whole entourage, but they came together and they, they came bringing these three gifts. In fact, because of what they were carrying, because they were bringing valuable gifts, treasures, the text tells us, they probably did have an entourage. They probably had a group of people and maybe even some soldier type people that were there to protect them. And then, as I mentioned, they weren't there on Christmas Day. In fact, look at verse 11 in our our text it says they came to the what house not the stable and they saw the young child 
And that phrase, the young child, refers to a child who is somewhere between the ages of one and two years old. In fact, remember, when, when Herod found out that they had left and they didn't come back to him, remember what he did? He issued that all the babies in Bethlehem two years and younger would be killed. That's a bloody gruesome part of the Christmas story that we often forget. But he was threatened by this newborn king. So they arrive later in the story. But the thing that I want us to consider about these wise men today is their approach. And there's three things that we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on how they came seeking the newborn king. We're going to look at how they came to worship the newborn king, and then we're going to look at how they brought fitting gifts to worship the newborn king. The first thing I want you to notice, though, is that they came seeking a newborn king. In verse 2, it says, they asked the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, think about this. These guys traveled over a thousand miles looking for a child. Now think about this. It was a long, difficult journey. They're riding on, maybe you know the pictures show camels. Maybe it was camels. Maybe it was horses. Maybe it was donkeys. But in our modern day you know, age in which we live, it's so hard for us sometimes to think about you know, a long journey like this because you know, we can jump on an airplane and in two and a half hours we can travel a thousand miles. We can hop in our cars, and in 16 hours, we can travel 1,000 miles. I know that because we used to live in Oregon, and it was exactly 1,000 miles from where we lived in Oregon to where my parents lived in uh, Southern California. And so we did that trip many, many times. And so you're looking at, you know, two and a half hour plane ride, a 16 hour car ride. But for these men traveling over rough terrain and through deserts and over mountains, it would have taken months for them to travel. There was no rest stops. There was no McDonald's. There's no Holiday Inns. They're camping out. So I just want you to think about that. The length at which they came to worship, to seek out this newborn king. It wasn't an easy journey. They were committed seekers. The second thing that I want us to consider is how they came to worship the newborn king. Notice it again in verse 2, it says, For where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now I want you to think about this. They went through all of that trouble. They came all of that way to worship a young child. Think about that. They weren't coming, in other words, to get something from Jesus. He was only a toddler there in Bethlehem. Nor were they coming because of what he had done for them. He hadn't done anything yet. They came to worship him solely because of who he was. And I think that's an interesting thing for us to consider. Why should we worship the Lord? Because he's the king of kings. We worship him because he's the creator of all things. We worship him because he is the reason for life. He's the destiny of life. 
He's the Holy One, the bright and morning star. In Isaiah 9, 6, we're told, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We worship him because of who he is. In other words, an understanding of who Jesus is should be motivation enough for all of us to worship him. And to be honest, when I consider the story of these wise men, I I find it to be both convicting, because it challenges my heart, because my heart always isn't, you know, isn't always in the right place. But I also find it to be inspiring. They came to worship Jesus solely for who he was. Not seeking anything from him, but just seeking to give him the worth that he deserved. The third thing we want to consider today is that the wise men brought fitting gifts to worship the newborn king. We're going to spend the most of our time here. And I want to, first of all, just mention before we get into what they brought, their approach. Look at verse 11. It says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. What was their approach? They, they, they bowed. They bowed down before him. And again, I want you to put yourself in the sandal of these, these magi, these wise men. They, they, these were men who advised. They were advisors to the kings of, of Persia and Babylon. They were used to it, to living in royal settings. And I'm sure when they started off on their long journey, they must have had some expectations, right, of what they were going to find. I'm sure they thought, you know what, I'm sure he's going to be in a palace somewhere in Jerusalem. I'm sure that they had these expectations of, of what they were going to find when they finally found this newborn king. And they come to Herod's palace but the king, this newborn king, he wasn't there. And they're thinking, well, maybe he's in one of the, the summer houses. That's where he's at. And, and that we're going to find him there. Maybe they're going to put us up in you know, one of the cottages. But, but that's not what they, what they find. No, they find out that he's like five miles away in a small little village called Bethlehem. And the star that they were following is hovering over a common-looking house, not a palace. There's no royal robes. There's no royal attendants. There's nothing that even hinted of royalty. It's just two working-class people, and the wise men enter, and they see the child, and they see his mother, and their reaction was startling. They fell down and worshipped him. Why? Because it was deity in diapers. I thought about naming our Christmas series that, but Majesty in a Manger just sounded a lot better, right? Than deity in diapers, but But again, there's a lesson that I think we see in this. Because let's be honest. We can come to God with a lot of expectations, can't we? We expect him to be a certain way. We expect him to work a certain way. And when he doesn't, we get disappointed. Sometimes we even get angry. 
But I think God is saying to us this morning, to all of us here, to those of you who are watching online, God is saying, will you seek me for who I am? Will you trust that I know what is best? Will you worship me because I am worthy of your heart? I'm worthy of your praise. I'm worthy of your surrender. And so I want to encourage all of us here. I want to encourage you and me. I want to encourage us to make opportunities. Make this a goal in 2023. Make opportunities for you in your life to pause. To pause. To slow down a little bit. And just reflect upon who Jesus is and what he has done. And just allow your heart to be filled with a sense of just wonder and worship. That this Jesus who left heaven and came to this earth, born in the manger, who grew to a man so he could go to a cross... He now lives in our hearts. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage us to just try? You know, we get going so fast in in our life, don't we? So much going on and so many things that, that we lose sight of the wonder of the majesty of who Jesus is. Can we just pause? Make a point, make it maybe one of our New Year's resolutions that we're just gonna try to pause, take moments to pause and ponder that. So they worshipped him with humility and reverence by bowing down. But then the second thing is I want us to notice is that they worshipped him with fitting gifts. Look at the second part of verse 11 again. It says, and when they had opened their what? Treasures. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, it was always customary to give a superior gift when you were in a king's presence. So they recognized that they were in the presence of royalty. And gold was the metal of kings. And so one of the wise men came and he brought to him gold because it was a gift that was fitting for a king. And typically, you'd never appear before an ancient monarch without some gift of gold. That was a proper gift. You were going to see a monarch, you're going to bring him some gold. A gold bar that that you're just saying, this is saying that, that we value who you are, your wealth, your authority, that you are the king. So it was a fitting gift for a king. The next gift mentioned was frankincense. Frankincense was a gum resin that was used by the priest. And the priest would offer frankincense with the meal offering. And so the aroma of frankincense filled the air around the temple. And frankincense, it's interesting, it hardens into these little crystals. And it gives off this really sweet aroma when it's crushed. So frankincense was a fitting gift for a priest. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the final high priest who intercedes on behalf of his people. He's always interceding for us, praying for us. 
But what's interesting about Jesus, our high priest, is that he was crushed at Calvary in order to be our high priest. So frankincense was a fitting gift for a priest. But what about the myrrh? Myrrh was an anointing oil that was used for embalming the dead. Now I want you to picture this, okay? You're at a baby shower, and people are, you know, they're giving their gifts, and the gal having the babies opening up all the gifts, and there's little, you know, onesies and these little cute little things, and then she opens the package of embalming fluid. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this, right? I mean, how crazy is that? I can picture these wise men talking to each other before they go on their trip. What are you going to bring? I'm bringing some gold for, your, for the king. Oh, that's a great gift. That's awesome. How about you? What are you bringing? I'm, I'm, I'm bringing frankincense. Because, you know, frankincense is, is what they use there in Jerusalem and Israel for the priests. It has a sweet aroma. I just think it'll be a really, really awesome gift. What about you, Joe? What are you bringing? Embalming fluid. <laughs> I mean, they, they looked at him like, like man, I feel so sorry for him, you know. <laughs> the, the whispers and, and their long travels. But it was. Unbeknownst to that magi, that wise man, it was a fitting gift because the baby, Jesus, was born to die. And again, that's something that we often forget here at Christmas time. As Terry mentioned, he, he didn't stay a baby. He grew to a man. Now, it does blow my mind to think that Jesus lived in obscurity for 30 years. Doesn't that just blow your mind? I mean, he steps out of heaven and comes to this world, and, you know, he spends nine months in the womb, and then he's born as a baby. He's helpless, but then he, he, he spends 30 years. Like, no one hears him. One little, one little story about when he was 12, when he gets lost in the temple, and how he kind of mesmerized the religious leaders by his wisdom and knowledge on a trip with his family to Jerusalem. But for 30 years, it's like we, we never hear anything about him. Jesus became one of us. He walked in our sandals. He experienced the struggles that we go through. So he could be that high priest, the Bible says, that we, that we know can sympathize with us, that he knows the things that we go through. He understands our struggle. He understands our pain. But the baby was born to go to a cross and die on the cross to pay the price for the sins of all humanity. So embalming fluid, mirror, it was, it was a perfect gift, fitting gift. But I do wonder what Mary thought when she, you know, gold, oh, that's awesome. We can use that. Oh, frankincense, oh, I love that smell around town. Embalming fluid, I don't know about this one. What am I supposed to do with that? Fitting gifts, gold for a mighty king, frankincense for a ministering priest, and myrrh for a martyred prophet. So here's the question that I want to leave us with today. The question I want us to ponder today and as we head into 2023 next week, and we will be having our normal services on New Year's Day. What are the fitting gifts and acts of worship for us. 
What's the right approach for us in coming to Jesus? Well, there's two things. One, we, we also need to come to him like these guys did with humble hearts. We need to recognize that he's the king and not, not us. Jesus is the king, not me. We recognize that. So we come in humility. We're told in James chapter 4, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then it says, so humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord so he will lift you up. So that's, first of all, we come with humble hearts, but because Jesus is our high priest, because of what he's done for us, we're also told in Hebrews chapter 4 that we can come boldly. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to come, you know, cowering, but we can come boldly because when Jesus died on the cross, something radical happened. The veil in the temple there in Jerusalem the veil that stood as a wall between the holy place where the priests would go in daily to offer prayers and the holy of holies, which was the place where God's Shekinah glory dwelt and the only one day out of the entire year that only one priest, the high priest, could enter into. That veil that kept people out of the very presence of God The Bible says when Jesus breathed his last, when Jesus cried out, it is finished there on the cross, that veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. And it was God's way of saying, open house. It was God's way of saying that all are welcome in coming through my son Jesus to come into my presence, have relationship with me and fellowship with me. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that we can come boldly, that he invites us to come boldly before the throne room of God to worship him and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. So we we come in humility, remembering he's the king, but we can also come boldly. But what are the fitting gifts? Four things that I want us to consider quickly this morning. The first is this. What's a fitting gift for us to give to Jesus today? It's your trust. You see, faith is a voluntary matter. But Jesus does not have your trust unless you give it to him. He won't force it. So a fitting gift is to give him our trust, that we trust him for our salvation, that we trust him with your life, that you trust him with your future, that you trust him with your finances, that you, you trust Jesus with your life. That's first of all. The second thing is to give Jesus your heart. Now your heart is what you love. It's what you value. It's what you care about the most. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. So to give Jesus your heart is to make Jesus your treasure. I want you to think about these wise men. Traveled all that way, traveled so far and went so long to find Jesus And when I think about them, I'm reminded of what the prophet Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, when he says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That's what God invites us to do, to search after him with all of our hearts, not half a heart, 
Not a quarter of a heart, but with our whole heart. That, In other words, we make Jesus our treasure. We make Jesus the thing that we value above everything else. The writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 said this, that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And you know what he rewards us with? More of himself. Isn't that awesome? You know, Paul the Apostle, one of my heroes, 30 years after he had been walking with Jesus, planted all those churches, wrote two-thirds of you know, the New Testament, Paul the Apostle would write these words in the book of Philippians. He'd say, I have laid aside everything, and I continue to lay aside everything that I might gain Christ and that I might know him. And the first time I ever read that, I thought to myself, that is a weird statement for somebody who's walking, been walking with Jesus, serving Jesus for 30 years to say that I've laid aside everything and I continue to lay aside everything and I make it my, my number one passion is that I might know Christ. And I thought to myself that, that I could, if I could talk to Paul, I would say, Paul, don't you know him? I mean, you've been walking with him now for 30 years. Don't you know him? And it dawned on me. I know how Paul would answer. He'd be like, yeah, I do. I know, I know him. But there's so much more of him to know. It's endless. That's why Paul would pray for the church in, in Ephesus. That He says, I pray that you guys would come to know the height, how high, as well as the depth and the length and the width of the love of God that's available to us in Jesus because that is a search, my friends, that never gets old, that you never, ever reach the bottom of. There's so much of him to know. So we bring Jesus our hearts. We seek him with all of our hearts. Here's another gift that we can bring Jesus today is to give him that place of being first priority in your life. You see, if there's anyone or anything that has first place other than Jesus in your life, the Bible says that that's an idol. So we need to give Jesus first place in our life, in our interest, in our relationship, in our schedule, that Jesus is our number one passion and then finally what's a fitting gift that we can give to jesus is to bring other people to jesus you see god wants a family more than anything else this christmas he wants children who choose to love and trust him And in the same way that God entrusted the message of the arrival of the baby to the shepherds, God has entrusted the message of the gospel, the good news of why Jesus came, the life-changing message of the gospel. He's entrusted that to us. And he wants us to be actively sharing the message of the gospel, the good news of the hope of salvation, and the good news that we can know God and have a relationship with God. He wants us. He's entrusted that to us. Living here today in 2022, 
in our spheres of influence, that he's entrusted that message so that we can bring others into his family. And my prayer is that in this coming year for us as individuals and for us as a church, that we would trust Jesus like never before. That we would give him our whole hearts. That he would have first place in our lives and first place in our church and that we would be actively telling as many people as we possibly can about our great king. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the gift that you've given to us in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation that we can enjoy, the abundant life, because Jesus, you came and you died and you rose and you live, and you make all things new. And Lord, I pray that we would trust you completely, that we would love you and seek after you with all of our hearts, that we would give you first place in our lives, and that, Jesus, we would tell everyone how great you are. And Lord, I pray for anybody here in this room or anybody that's watching online that has not yet put their trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would do that right now. And if you're you're sitting here today or you're watching online and you've never given your heart to Jesus or maybe you have at some point and you've walked away from him and and you're realizing on this Christmas day that what God wants most of all is he, he wants your heart. I want to invite you right now to just Open your heart up to God. Open your heart up to Jesus by by just repeating after me this simple prayer. In the quietness of your heart, just, just tell him. Just say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior. And I'm asking you today to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Give me hope, healing. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you rose again to give me life. And today, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.